0: Hey there, you're listening to the Campus Bible Study Podcast. If you'd like to find out more information, you can go to campusbiblestudy.org. Colossians 1, verse 1 to 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins.
1: Well, welcome back, friends. It's great that we can gather together. I'm not sure how your summer was, but it's nice to... Well, get back into some kind of routine to get back on campus and to be able to meet together again. I'm going to look at this passage with us together briefly. Uh, Let's pray and ask that God would speak to us through His Word as He does. Heavenly Father, thank you for your Word. Thank you that it is rich and life giving and that it teaches us all that we need for life and godliness. Father, thank you that we can gather together this evening. Thank you for summer, for the opportunities for mission, for rest, for work and training for time with family and friends, and Father, thank you for the time we have this evening to refocus, to be equipped for the start of year, and to be shaped by your word as we prepare for the year. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As we start the new year, can I ask you a bit of a personal question? It's a bit personal. I want to ask you about your health, and not how you're going with the virus spreading around, but how is your spiritual health? I mean, doctors and dentists—they recommend that each year, maybe every six months, you turn up for a checkup. Your mechanic probably says the same thing: bring your car to me once a year just to check that everything's okay. The purpose of this kind of regular, periodic checkup is to kind of see if anything is going wrong, to pick something up early enough so it can be treated and dealt with properly. But when was the last time you took an honest look at your spiritual life? Now you may want to avoid it, a bit like the thought of going to the dentist for that ache in the back of your mouth. Can't think if I just keep on brushing, it'll be fine, surely it will work out in the end. You're afraid of the drills and the bills of going to the dentist and so you try and ignore it. Maybe you think the same about your spiritual health. Or perhaps you're just not sure where to start. Maybe it's a bit like your car, there's that noise, has it always been there? Is it a bad noise or a good noise? Is that light on the dash anything to be worried about? You're not quite sure what to do. Well, when it comes to your spiritual health check, your prayer life can be a bit like a spiritual thermometer. Now, I presume you've probably seen pictures recently of people going through airports with someone shining something in their head to check their temperature. Uh, Taking your temperature can reveal something about what's going on on the inside. Uh, On the outside, you may look quite healthy. On the inside, you may even feel quite healthy. Uh, But your temperature actually reveal that something serious is going on underneath. And in somewhat the same way, our prayer lives as Christians can reveal something about how we're actually going spiritually. Uh, on the outside, we can look like we're going well as Christians. We may even think to ourselves that we're doing well as Christians. But as we look to our prayers, it can actually, well, look a little more concerning. Uh, prayers often personal. Uh, we pray corporately, sometimes as we gather together, but when we're on our own, when no one else is watching, when there's no one to impress or no one to judge you, what's your relationship with God really like? What's your prayer life like? Prayers also kind of open a window to our hearts, to our desires. What kinds of things do you pray for? What are you thankful for? What does it reveal to you about what you truly value and what you look forward to? Now, talking about prayer like this, it can easily induce guilt for us. Uh, Personally, I know that my prayer life hasn't started this year how I'd hoped or how I'd planned for it to. And for many, if not all of us, there's room for us to grow in this area. So as we look and we talk about prayer and a spiritual health check, uh, we don't want to have any cheap shots. We don't want to make you feel bad. We don't want to try and twist or manipulate you. But rather, together, as we look at this prayer of Paul's, We want to open our hearts and our lives to God, don't we? That his word may diagnose us and that we may leave here on a healthier trajectory than we walked in. That's my prayer and I hope it's your prayer too. So what is Paul's prayer that we're looking at in this passage? Well, Paul opens by summarizing his position of prayer for these people, the believers in Colossae. Brothers and sisters he's never met personally, but he is committed to enduring thankfulness for them. And now while you may think verses 3 to 8, this kind of first chunk of the prayer that we just read, while you may think that's all about what the Colossians have done, notice that Paul doesn't direct his thanks towards them, but towards God. Now like me, you probably know this in theory, uh, this is the work of God and not them, but how does that truth shape your heart? How does that shape your prayers? I mean, as you look over these verses, do you naturally attribute these things to the Colossians or yourself or to others or to God I'm in mean, verse 4 that's their faith their love it's what they've done and why have they done it because of their hope verse 5 and they heard it in verse 6 and they understood it they're kind of quite active in those things they learned it. verse 7 from Epaphras do you fall into the trap like I do of thinking that this is the stuff that we do It's how we grasp the truth, how we understand it, how we respond to it. But Paul reminds us that for the Colossians, for us, for those we share the gospel with, all these things are the work of God. Because, did you notice in verse 6, it's the work that God brings about through the gospel. In verse 6, it's the gospel that is bearing fruit and increasing. The gospel here is described as God's true word, A word that reveals God's grace towards guilty rebels, giving them certain hope of a blessed future in heaven. Now, Epaphras, he's the bloke who went to the Colossians. He spoke this message of grace and truth to them. And that makes him, did you see, a faithful servant, not of the Colossians, though he does serve them. He's a servant of Christ or a minister of Christ. Uh, That's what it is when we share the good news about Jesus Christ, a faithful proclaimer who brings about God's gospel growth. Now, this growth being described as bearing fruit and increasing, what does that remind you of? Uh, Hopefully, if you're at NYC a couple of years ago, if you've read Genesis recently, as we're about to in a couple of weeks, may remind you of the first command that God gave to Adam and Eve. Genesis 128, go be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. This original creation mandate, if you like, is now being fulfilled by the proclaiming of the gospel. A proclamation, not procreation, if you like. And through the proclamation, God is bringing this growth. It's also what you see in the book of Acts. Going to look up later, Acts 6, verse 7, 12, verse 24, and 1920. Acts 6, 7, 12, 24, and 1920. At some of the key moments through the book of Acts, the growth, the spread of the gospel is described as the word of God increasing, multiplying as people are saved. You see, growth happens as God's word is proclaimed and God brings that growth. Another passage that may come to mind for you is Jesus' parable of the sower. Uh, Matthew 13, Mark 4, Luke 8, you remember the one where the sower goes out to sow the seed and it falls on the path, on the rocky ground, on the uh, the good soil is what we're thinking about, isn't it? The seed that falls on the good soil is those who hear the word of God and accept it and what happens? They bear fruit, they're fruitful and they bear fruit 30-fold, 60-fold and 100-fold. You see, as the gospel word is proclaimed, it bears fruit. And if we are the good soil who have received this Word of God, the expectation is that we will be fruitful. And that's what Paul has seen amongst the Colossians, and he gives thanks to God that God has borne that fruit amongst them. So what does it mean for us to believe this? Well, if we believe this, then we too will give thanks to God as we see the fruit of Gospel growth, both in our own lives and in the lives of others. Gospel growth begins with hearing the gospel. It sounds obvious, but it's worth noting that uh, several times in these verses, they heard the gospel. Paul wants to kind of draw it out. Living a gospel-shaped life isn't enough. It's actually proclaiming the gospel word. We speak the truth. And in verses 12 to 14, we're reminded that we all naturally live in darkness, bound in this dominion, this authority, as slaves to sin and death. But in Christ, all that has changed. God's given us this outrageous gift that none of us could ever possibly earn or deserve. God gave His beloved Son to die in our place, to reconcile us to God, to forgive our sins, to give us the freedom and the life that comes of the glorious kingdom of His Son. This is God's grace. This is what we've received and this is what we can't help. And we must speak and share to a world in bondage to death. And when you comprehend this certain hope that we have, the obedient response to the hope of grace is faith and love. It's not always the way we think, but verse 5, it's because of this hope that they have done, verse 4, responded with faith. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, trusting their lives to the one who gave his life for them. And love, love as the fruit of the gospel, love overflowing to those that Jesus died for, the Christian community. And so when we see these things in our lives, faith and love flowing from the hope that we have in heaven, in our lives and the lives of others, well, like Paul, we ought to thank God. This is a miraculous work he has done in them. This is the costly work that Jesus died to bring about. This is the fruit that his gospel has borne. And if we continue with this continued life of thanksgiving, as Paul says, always giving thanks for them, well, it guards us against, well, falling into thinking that our faith is a product of our good work, of our intelligence, our culture, our family. No, it's none of these things. It is a result of God's work in us. By his gospel word. So if God's word is powerful, if the gospel brings growth, will you be a faithful servant of Christ and proclaim this good word of grace? It seems like an obvious conclusion, doesn't it? God does the work and we proclaim this gospel in prayerful dependence on him. Prayerful dependence because he does the work, not us. He brings the growth, we proclaim the gospel. So will you commit to praying this year? Praying for your friends, your classmates, your family, those that you work with, those that you play sport with. Will you pray that God would bring this growth to them and give you opportunities to share the gospel with them? A prayer that God would delight to answer. As Angus has reminded us, God, this time is a time of salvation, a time of God's patience, as He's holding back the judgment that we deserve so that more may reach repentance. What does this look like day to day? Well, it comes to mind what an old friend of mine shared. He starts every day getting up, thanking God for his mercy towards him. He knows his weakness. He knows how unworthy he is of God's grace. And so every morning to start the day, he preaches the gospel to himself and he thanks God for his grace to him. Maybe that might be something that you enjoy doing that benefits you, that reminds you of all your Lord has done for you. What are you thanking God for? Not just as a one-off, not just occasionally, but what is your constant pattern of thanksgiving? Is it about what God has done for you and what you see Him doing amongst others? In verse 9, Paul moves from this attitude of thanksgiving, and really verses 3 to 8, to a petition, a prayer. And did you notice, just as he's always giving thanks in verse 3, well, he hasn't ceased in his prayers either, in verse 9. You get the feeling that if Paul said he's going to pray for you, it's not just that 30-second prayer as he walks out to the bus. No, no, he's going to commit to continue to pray for you, to be disciplined, to be devoted. And I take it he did that because he truly believed in prayer. He knew the God he prayed to, the God who delighted to hear his prayers, the God who would answer his prayers, The God who would answer his prayers to bring him about the work that he's promised to do through the gospel Paul has been proclaiming. He didn't need monthly updates. He didn't need the prompting of others. He was convinced of the value of prayer and what they needed most. And he prayed. What do you pray for? If you're like me, most of our prayers tend to be driven by what we're currently experiencing. A need a situation or what's just on the horizon an event an anxiety a joy we're very task focused in our prayers do we pray more for material things or spiritual things for things passing or things eternal for matters that will please us or matters that will please God if you're like me Paul's prayer is a big challenge to raise my eyes to the things that truly matter that truly endure that concern God and not just me and my small sphere. What does it look like? Well, verse 9, the essence, the foundation of Paul's prayer is verse 9, to be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now, sometimes people complain that the campus Bible study, they're too much on about the Bible and about knowledge and not enough of a focus on the Spirit. But that kind of a distinction, well, it's a false dichotomy, it's a false to split those two apart, And, well, it's an emphasis foreign to the Scriptures. What does Paul pray here? Uh, Not that they are to be filled with the Spirit. Let's talk about that elsewhere. But to those who have the Spirit, to a group of Christians, he asks that they be filled with the knowledge of God's will. And notice he doesn't say, go get some knowledge, hit the books. He prays to God to give them this knowledge. Uh, To have the knowledge of the will of God, well, it is none other than the gift of God to you. So what is God's will for your life? Now, when talking about God's will, people tend to think of it in three different layers. I'm not sure if you ever have, but that's the way that people discuss it. Uh, Firstly, there's God's sovereign will. God is God. He works all things according to the counsel of His will. Ephesians 1.11. Because He is God, He ordains everything. Now, He hasn't revealed to us what that everything looks like, but He has revealed to us the shape of all that. You see down... We'll look at it next week, but in verse 20, uh, He is reconciling all things to Himself, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. That's God's big plan, His big will for all of creation, reconciling everything through Jesus. But just where do the bushfires or the coronavirus or your business degree, how how does all that stuff fit in, the tangible stuff of the day? Well, if you're Tony, that's all of your life. No, he's changed. There's more... (laughs) So you've got God's sovereign will, everything happens according to that will, but we don't know all the details. Then people talk of God's moral will. Uh, The Bible reveals for us how we are to live in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, if you like, the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, But it's that kind of moral thing, how we are to act. God tells us that. Then there's God's individual will. Where should you work? What degree should you do? What church should you go to? Who should you marry? Should you date? There's that kind of day-to-day decisions, and that tends to be where people go first and foremost when we think about will. What's God's will? We want to think of those day-to-day decisions. And if you know God's sovereign will through the Scriptures, you know God's moral will through the Scriptures, well, you have to discern God's individual will for you by, well, listening to God's inner guiding by His Spirit. It's not revealed in the Scriptures, it doesn't say, Tony, study business, it's just not there. But the issue is, I don't think the Bible actually talks about this individual will for our lives. I think it's just about the first two. What's God concerned about? He wants you to know about the big picture of what He's doing in all creation, that He's in control. And He wants you to know how to live. Your godliness is what matters, your holiness, your character... And he doesn't give us case studies, examples of every possible situation we are to face. What does he give us? He gives us all the spiritual wisdom and understanding that we need to be able to make those decisions about what to study, where to live, what church to go to, who to marry, what you're going to do on the weekend, or what you should eat for dinner. Hopefully you've worked that one out already. You see, this is what Paul prays for them. He wants them to know God's will, to be filled with the knowledge of God's will and to be filled in all spiritual wisdom and understanding that they may know how they are to live. Why? Well, the purpose is that they walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. He wants them to be fully equipped for life. Now, those around us, they may be seeking their own pleasure by following their own will. If you've tried living like that, You know how empty it is, just as the prodigal son found out. But Christians, we're different because we know the will of God, the God of the universe, and having received His grace, we now live to please Him, not ourselves. But you can be sure that the God who gave His only Son for you is not giving you a rough path through life. Yes, there will be persecution, but the path that He has prepared for you is the best way to live. He loves you. He made you to live that way. But boy, it's a high calling to live. Have you ever considered how your present life is worthy, is fitting, of being a son of God, being a representative of God in this earth? Daily, I'm aware of how I fall short of that standard, how I fail. You may well be too. How do you respond? Or shouldn't it drive us to deep dependence on God, to our knees to pray to Him, to depend on His grace daily, to speak the Gospel to ourselves daily? God cares about your life. He wants you to live the years He's given given you here with purpose. And that purpose is not chasing your pleasure, but to live for His pleasure, to do what matters, to do what is valuable. And what this life looks like, that's unpacked in, well, kind of the four following clauses. If you remember English, they're the kind of next little chunks. Uh, firstly, verse 10, uh, The life pleasing to the Lord, it bears fruit in every good work. That's what Paul gives thanks for at the start, and now he continues to pray for that. The evidence of the gospel taking hold of our lives is the good works that overflow. These in no way merit our salvation, we know that, but they are the joy of the believer. Good works, they're acts of love flowing from the love God's shown us and the love we have to others. They're bountiful, they're everything. Kindness, generosity, grace, humility, forgiveness. Uh, Don't let your imagination stop there. Keep on going. Can I ask, do you delight in living to please God? In seeking to do the good works He's prepared for you? Uh, Not seeking the praise of man, not doing it to be seen by man or to be looking impressive here, but to please God, not even to please yourself wouldn't it be great if campus Bible study students were known for doing good works on campus? Uh, Not just for walking up to them while they're having lunch in the quad, but for doing good works that even those who don't believe in our God can recognize that we've been transformed by him to love. Now hand in hand with bearing this fruit is the second one of increasing in the knowledge of God. After all this knowledge, it drives and directs our walk according to God's will. Do you know that your growth in knowledge of God, it is pleasing to God, just as your good works are. Knowledge is not a bad thing. God wants you to know Him. So what's it going to look like for you to commit, to continue to read, to study, to meditate on, to delight in God's Word this year? Having learned of God's grace, through the gospel but we tend to fear any kind of pharisaic legalism but the issue that i think we fall into is with legalism we kind of clump all kind of spiritual discipline or piety we go we can't do any of that i'm free to live however Whereas i think paul had a level of discipline a level of commitment in his prayer and in his study of the scriptures that we could learn well from how will you be intentional and disciplined in your prayer and in your bible reading to depend on God in thanksgiving, to pray for what really matters and to grow in your knowledge of Him, to please Him in that way. On campus, at church, on your own, how will you invest your time well this year? Thirdly, verse 11, uh, the third aspect is being strengthened with all power according to His glorious mind for all endurance and patience. Now walking in God's will, it's not a sprint, it's not a holiday, but it's also something you don't need to be some kind of elite uber athlete to achieve. Why is that? Well, the God who spoke the universe into being, He is the one who will strengthen you. He will give you endurance. He will persevere you to the end. We depend on Him. And one of the ways that God does this is by gathering His people together around His Word. In bigger groups and smaller groups, we're going to look at that on next Friday at Welcome Day in Hebrews chapter 10. But it is a joy and a privilege for us as God's people to have this freedom to meet here and to gather to spur one another on as God strengthens us to walk in His will. And fourthly at the end of verse 11, the with joy I think goes with the next one rather than the previous one but anyway that's the the verse break up, with joy giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Now Paul's modelled this attitude of thankfulness in verses 3 to 8, and now he calls the Colossians and all Christians to copy it. Having learned of God's great grace towards us, how can we not be a people characterized by a deep and abiding joy, an ongoing thankfulness for his daily mercy towards us? He is the one who delivered us from the domain of darkness, he is the one who transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, he is the one who has achieved our redemption and the forgiveness of our sins. And so daily, with joy, will you give thanks to the God who loves you and has given you everything. You see, God tells you His will for your life. And what a wonderful prayer He has given us here. A prayer that we would do well to pray regularly for ourselves and for others. Heavenly Father, fill us with the knowledge of Your will, with all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So that we may walk in a manner worthy of your Son, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in good works, increasing in our knowledge of you, being strengthened by you, and giving thanks to you, for you have done it all for us. So, as you take out that spiritual thermometer, having looked at Paul's prayer, how do you feel about your spiritual health? Now, health checks, thankfully, aren't like exams. At the end of an exam, pens down, that's it. Whether you've done well or not, that's the end of the story until you get the reset. Uh, But health checks, it's just the beginning. The goal is not to condemn or to approve, but to actually set you on a new path. So don't stop with a warm feeling of encouragement or the pang of the rebuke. But having seen the issue, how will you address it? How will you move forward from here? Can I suggest that for all of us, it actually starts with prayer. Our deep dependence on God, our abiding gratitude towards Him. And it must be grounded in the Gospel of God, the Gospel that saved us, that powerfully brings growth in our lives as it is in the whole world. And as we seek to be filled with the knowledge of God, there's the enduring commitment to live seeking His pleasure. You've probably noticed that our society is driven by pleasure, aren't they? It's called hedonism, uh, seeking for many that they live their whole lives for their own happiness, their own pleasure. Uh, now, a little while ago, probably before your time, but the, the remnant continues, the, the idea probably continues, but John Piper popularised a term called Christian hedonism. Uh, building on this phrase, he said, what he means is we should seek to glorify God by enjoying Him forever. Uh, Your pursuit is to find your joy in God and so to glorify Him. Now, there's some value in that, but I wonder what Paul would say from this letter. Uh, What is his view of Christian hedonism? Wouldn't he encourage us to live seeking God's pleasure as we are filled with the knowledge of His will? There's no greater purpose for you in life. There's no greater goal, there's no more glorious achievement for your life than to seek God's pleasure by living according to His will. So will you join me this year in praying this prayer and seeking to live this out, seeking God's pleasure, being filled with the knowledge of His will. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You for lifting our eyes above our sphere to see what truly matters to you and for us. Heavenly Father, please fill us with the knowledge of your will, with all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so we may walk in a manner worthy of your Son, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in your good works, increasing in knowledge of you, being strengthened by you and giving thanks to you. And we praise you and thank you, for you have done it all for us through your Son our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.